Turn in your copy of God's Word to Ruth chapter 2. You can turn in your device or hopefully your copy of God's Word that you have in your lap there will be in chapter 2 of Ruth. Uh, You can look in the Pew Bible in front of you to Ruth chapter 2 and follow along in the translation that that I will be reading from. If you don't have a Bible, we believe the Bible is so important to us, and you don't have a Bible, we hope that you would let us know. We have some out at the Next Steps desk that we would love for you to have as your own so that you can read God's Word on your own throughout the week. So please stop by there uh, if that's something that you need. We're continuing in our series of House of Bread. Last week we learned that that's the name of Bethlehem. That's what it means. Bethlehem means House of Bread. We talked about how in starvation that Naomi and Ruth came back to the house of bread after God's blessings. And we also are coming to be reminded of God's, uh, we were, were reminded of God's faithfulness to us even when we're not faithful to him. Today we're going to look again, uh, we looked at the hope that we had in God uh, through his faithfulness. Today we're going to look at putting our faith in God and being challenged this time of year at Christmas that we should be putting our faith in Christ, putting our faith in God, because what we read in the chapter 2 of Ruth and the connection of Bethlehem and the birth of God's son, that we, we can place our faith in him. So let's read uh, chapter 2. And uh, I will begin in verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. Ruth, the Moabitess, asked Naomi, Will you let me go into the fields, gather fallen grain from behind someone with whom I find favor? Naomi answered her, Go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they replied. Boaz asked the servant who was in charge of the harvesters, Whose young woman is this? The servant answered, she is a young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She asked, will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has been on her feet since early morning, except she rested a little in the shelter. Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. For uh, haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. She fell face down, bowed to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor with you, so that you notice me, although I am a foreigner? Boaz answered her, Everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death have been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother in your native land, how you came to a people you didn't previously know, May the Lord reward you for what you have done, and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. My Lord, she said, I have found favor with you, for you have comforted and encouraged your servant, although I am not like one of your female servants. At mealtime, Boaz told her, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. So she sat beside the harvesters, 
and he offered her roasted grain. She ate and was satisfied and had some left over. When she got up to gather grain, Boaz ordered his young men, let her even gather grain from among the bundles and don't humiliate her. Pull out some stalks from the bundles for her and leave them for her to gather. Don't rebuke her. So Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening. She beat out what she had gathered. It was about 26 quarts of barley. She picked up the grain and went into town where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She brought out what she had left from her meal and gave it to her. Her mother-in-law said to her, where did you gather barley today? And where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. Ruth told her mother-in-law whom she had worked with and said, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may the Lord bless him and because he has not abandoned his kindness To the living or the dead, Naomi continued, the man is a close relative. He is one of our family redeemers. Ruth of Moabitess said, he also told me, stay with my young men until they have finished all of my harvest. So Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, my daughter, it is good for you to work with his female servants so that nothing will happen to you in another field. Ruth stayed close to Boaz's female servants and gathered grain until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you thankful for your inspired and perfect word. It has been handed down to us, not just so that we might have a warm feeling of a story of your kindness, but instead it would instruct us in our faith and instruct us to glorify you more. Heavenly Father, may we come to understand your word, and may we glorify you all the more because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. At Christmas, we as Christians stake our salvation on the birth of a baby at Bethlehem. Many outsiders seem to think that that's a giant leap too far. We as Christians know that this is the, the essence or the, uh, the foundations of our faith. We know and believe that the God of the universe stepped out of heaven, came fully wrapped in humanity, born of a virgin in Bethlehem, that he lived a perfect life and went to a cross to die so that those who place their faith in him will have eternal life. This is an essential element and belief of our faith. But it's not surprising that the world thinks that this might be a leap too far. It's hard for them to believe in something uh, supernatural in this way. But look at the way that the world places their faith in. Look as just in this holiday, we place our faith in a lot of different things in this world, money, power, fame, passions. This time of year, what do we put our faith in? Creating the perfect Christmas experience. We do so by racking our brain with months on end, thinking of the perfect gift that we know that will make our children or our family member or our friend light up with significance that somehow we will bring to it significance to the world from this perfect gift that we have given them. Well, friends, if we put our faith in that, that is very shaky faith. 
Every parent can attest that every gift that we have thought would bring delight to our child, that they open it up and would much rather play with the box than the gift that they've been given. Or the gift that we thought would bring happiness and satisfaction to them breaks in 24 hours, or by March, the new version has come out. We know that trying to find our faith or putting our faith in something that will bring satisfaction will not come by what we chase at Christmas. Heck, Wendy reminded me this week that it's the 36th anniversary of me not getting the gift that I've wanted, which is the G.I. Joe aircraft carrier that came out in 1985 and is still not under my Christmas tree. (sighs) My faith in Santa is shaking. Christmas is really a time for us at Christians to put our faith not in stuff or of this world, but put our faith in God again. It is a reminder God came to us that if we believe on him, eternal life can be found. In Ruth chapter chapter 2, we see faith play an essential role here in act two of the four-act story of Ruth and Naomi. By faith, Ruth trusted in the Lord to provide for her. By faith, Ruth trusted that she would be cared for by putting herself in his care. By faith, she was trusting herself to God to provide. And just as Ruth put her faith in God in Bethlehem, so too we can we put our faith in God who sent his son at Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. We as Christians may need to put our faith in him more today. Or maybe someone here or someone watching at home needs to put your faith in Christ for the first time. The events of the life of Ruth in Bethlehem, the events of the birth of Christ in Bethlehem remind us of a great God in whom we owe our faith. So in this passage, there are three reasons at Christmas we can place our faith in God. Number one, if you're taking notes on the back of the bulletin or in your phone or at home, number one, at Christmas, we can have faith that God has been at work all along. At Christmas, we can have faith that God has been at work all along. Well, as we open chapter two, the first verse begins to introduce a new character, Boaz. He is described as a prominent man of noble character. In other translations, simply a worthy man. This term, gibor, is the word that is used there to describe Boaz. Literally, it means a man, a mighty one, wealthy, powerful and a great character. That's a lot for one word, but that's what we see and understand and are introduced to Boaz. Boaz is helpful because Gibor, or this word mighty, is used only to describe people, but to describe God himself. It is to describe this worthy, mighty God who brings upon salvation. This one that is described in Isaiah 9, 6, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, 
mighty, or Gabor, God, eternal father, prince of peace. Now, we know that because of the story, we know the end before Ruth does, and we know that God is setting Boaz as the redeemer, the caretaker, the one who is a picture of the redeemer who is to come. And this Boaz sets us up to see that God is already at work. Ruth and Naomi are poor, are hungry, don't know how they're going to take care of themselves. But friends, God is at work. God is already writing their story. In these beginning verses, it's wonderful to see that the mighty God is the work directing the path and provisions for Ruth and Naomi. And we see this in a snapshot of two different ways. First of all, God had already ordained through the law that those who are in need can go and get provisions from people, uh, from Jewish people through, through gleaning of the fields. And many, many thousands of years early, excuse me, a couple thousand years earlier, when the law was written, that God had written a provision that those who were poor could glean or come to the fields and take what's on the ground for provision. It was a way for those to be taken care of who had a need. There was also a law that at the edges of the fields were not to be harvested so that those who were poor could come and get what they needed. We see that God was already taking care of Ruth's needs when she put her faith in him. When she said, your God will be my God. This God was a God who was already taking care of her. Second, God directed her to a field in which Boaz owned, whom we know ultimately will provide and ultimately be the redeemer of the line. In verse 3, we see this wonderful phrase. Uh, it says that... So Ruth left and entered the, the field. She happened to be. Now, literally in the Hebrew, it says her chance chanced upon the allotted portion of the field. That she, by chance, had come. Now, if you're reading this, you know and the reader knows that what the writer is saying. That God has already put this together. That this was not happenstance. This wasn't a stroke of good luck, but that God, the provider who is sovereign, directing all things for his glory, has put her into the field of her kinsman redeemer. Now, brothers and sisters, Christians, if you're watching at home, please, this is my opportunity, maybe several so often, to please beseech you, to ask you, to instruct you, possibly even with the threat of a punch in the throat, please stop talking about good luck and chance. You cannot read the Bible and see that things are happening by chance. This is not a world that is without order. This is a God, a sovereign of the universe who is directing our paths and directing our lives. Nothing is happening to us without the direction of the Lord. So when something good goes well, we need to say, blessed be the name of the Lord, not how lucky we are. Please stop saying that. When something 
good happens to us. We need to say, blessed be the name of the Lord that he has brought this good thing to us. If something bad happens to us, what do we say? Blessed be the name of the Lord because God is still working all things. Please stop thinking and and putting up and propping up this pagan, unbiblical, unfaithful, unrighteous, horrible, and stupid belief of luck. Back to the original sermon. (laughs) Instead, brother and sister, we need to understand that God is taking care of Ruth. And it should encourage us all the more to put our faith in him. There is no situation in which he is not present. There is no situation in which he is not guiding. We must place our faith in him because he is at work. And how do we know this? Because a thousand years later from the line of Ruth and Boaz, we receive the Savior of the world, the line of David. Jesus is born of a virgin. The Redeemer of the world comes. He is at work. We can put our faith in him. This didn't happen out of luck. Jesus didn't become good enough all of a sudden that he bestowed deity. He was not just a great teacher, but God, before the foundation of the world, had ordained and planned and directed that he himself would come as the savior of the world. Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says, When the time to completion came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Amen? Brothers and sisters, God is at work. And God is directing and redeeming and If he is directing the Redeemer coming to save us, then we can place our faith in him for all things in our lives. Because he's at work. So teenagers, look, it is a difficult time to live. I know. Middle school to high school can be some of the most difficult days of your life. Your friend this year, some, for some reasons, not your friend next year. There's a lot of things happening that you can't really put your hands around. Everybody's asking you every day, where are you going to go to college? Where are you going to go to college? What are you going to do? These are big things for you to think about. Can I encourage you? Put your faith in God. He's working, even though that you don't feel it. Trust in him. Rest in him. Parent. Maybe you're a parent of someone who's older adult or maybe a younger child and you've been fretting about them walking away from God or not trusting in God. You've prayed. You've cried in your pillow. You've done everything you can to know what you can do to, to help your child see the wonders and glories of God. Can I encourage you? Place your faith in him. He's working. He's doing what only he can do, and that's saving. 
Should you be sharing your faith? Yes. Should you be putting an environment where the gospel is repeated and shown and encouraged and, and, and that you're encouraging if your child is under 18, you're bringing them, maybe dragging them to church? Yes, you should be doing those things because they need to meet with God. They need to meet with Jesus. They need to be under his word and they need to be, be with God's people. But you can't save them. And as much as your heart is breaking and aching, I encourage you, God is still at work. Put your faith in him. And he is at work in every situation in our lives. And at Christmas, we can be reminded and affirmed that God is at work and we can place our faith in him. Number two. At Christmas, we can have faith to put ourselves under his sovereign care. At Christmas, we can have faith to put ourselves under his sovereign care. So as we continue reading in verse 4, Boaz rolls up to his field and he's taking a look out and he sees Ruth. And she's somebody different that she see, he's seen there before. And so he asks, who is this? And if you kind of get from the words, you can notice that the foreman or the supervisor is, is a little kind of unsure because she's, he's like, well, this is a foreigner and this is someone I know that you don't know. And I know that this could be something that you'd be embarrassed about. So kind of Boaz, what do you want me to do about this? We hear that Ruth is working hard. She is working diligently. She is honest and obviously, the story of what she's done committing to Naomi has reached Boaz's ear. So what do we find? Boaz was completely overwhelmed by Ruth's kindness to Naomi and her faith in the Lord. Boaz then, as he's talking to Ruth, encourages her, tells her to continue on in her kindness and he does something amazing, prays that God would bless her faithfulness to the Lord. In Ruth chapter 12, sorry, Ruth 2 chapter, uh, verse 12, he says, May the Lord reward you for what you have done. May you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Boaz believes that Ruth's actions deserves more than just his recognition. It deserves the reward of the Lord. He longs for the Lord to re reward her in full. And Boaz believes that Ruth has done as a, what she has done is a result of her, her faith in God. And of course we know that. That she has said, your God will be my God. She has placed her trust in the God of Israel, the God of Naomi, that he will provide. And similarly, we know that the writer of Hebrews says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So while faith-fueled actions may go unnoticed by other people, they do not go unnoticed by the Lord. So in this, Boaz is encouraging her and praying that God would reward her for her faithfulness to God. But the Lord is not only a rewarder, he's also a refuge. Boaz commands Ruth, commends Ruth for abandoning the Moab gods and taking refuge under the wings of the Almighty God. 
That powerful phrase at the end is a phrase that is repeated throughout the Old Testament to talk about how God has put his faithful provision and care over Israel, over the Jewish people, over his covenant people. And the Lord is giving a refuge under his wings. The image of finding refuge under the Lord's wings carries this protection and nurturing care, similarly to what Jesus says when he later says, Oh, Jerusalem, I wish you would come under the care of the Lord as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. This is a significance to say that if you trust In God, if you put your faith in him, you are putting your faith in him as a sovereign caretaker, one who cares for you and loves you and will give you protection, rest, and blessing. And it reminds us that we can place our faith in God ourselves because we know it is under his refuge that later will bring about from Bethlehem the redeemer of the world, the one who takes care of all of our needs. It's one thing for God to provide us for a empty stomach, but it's another thing for someone to take care of our empty heart full of sin. We know that that Redeemer came. He came and has provided for us. And I am thankful for a God who redeemed me because I know, brothers and sisters, I know how sinful my heart can be. I know how quickly it can turn inward to self, selfishness and self-righteousness. I know that there is nothing good in me that would ever bring God to love me. But I know and am thankful for God who sent his son to die for me. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7 reminds us, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages we might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. As Ruth found shelter under the wings of God and provision for food. We come under the wings of God for our salvation. Get it? We were saved by grace, not by something we have done. Ruth did nothing except for place her faith in God and go out and hope that some field might be just enough for her to be taken care of. But God directed her path and God saved her through her faith. So brothers and sisters, we need to be reminded that God is someone that we can place our faith in for everything in our life, but ultimately because we know we can place our faith in him for salvation. God shows us through Ruth that it is her faith that has saved her. And brothers and sisters, it's a reminder to us that it's only our faith that saves. Brother and sister, may I remind you that it is not that you are saved because you have been raised in the South, in a Christian part of the world. You will not be saved because you feel or 
come to the conclusion that Judeo-Christian principles seems the most logical choice for you? Brother, sister, you will not be saved because you donate money or time or charity or even to the church. Brother, sister, you will not be saved because your grandparents or your family went to church or was even a charter member at a church like ours celebrating our 60th anniversary. There is no way for us to be saved outside the grace of God coming through Jesus Christ and us putting our faith in him. There is nothing that we can do. So you at Christmas received a gift that was bought for you at Calvary, that you received into your heart, that you follow him as Lord, that you give your life to him, that you're born again, that you repent of your sins and follow him. And this is how we know that we can put our lives in his sovereign care. John Piper observes in this text, God is not an employer looking for employees. He's an eagle looking for people who will take refuge under his wings. He's looking for people who will leave father and mother and homeland or anything else that may hold us back from a life of love under the wings of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we need to thank God today for his provision and rescue and protection and for his eternal grace. It is sad that people reject Christ's salvation and his rest. This Christmas, may we put our faith in him. May we be committed to sharing this grace with all who will listen. And may we, if someone's here, I pray, would place your trust in Christ under the care of his wings. By faith and by salvation, you receive it today. And finally, number three, at Christmas, we can have faith in the kindness of God towards us. At Christmas, we can have faith in the kindness of God towards us. In verse 13 and on, we see that, that Boaz continues to extend his grace and kindness to Ruth. It's this kindness of Ruth that begets the kindness of God. This kindness of God extends through the kindness of Boaz that Boaz says here, not only are you, am I going to let you glean my field, but I'm going to let you even glean from my workers. I'm going to put you, uh, because doing this is, is a risk unto herself for a, a woman to be by herself could be uh, ridicule, could be unsafe. She could be taken advantage of, but she, Boaz protected her. Be with my women workers. Be, uh, my men are instructed to leave you alone. All these things are ways that Boaz is showing kindness. Then he says, at the end of the day, come over and eat with us. Get filled up to satisfaction. Uh, we see that he gives. And at the end of the day, she takes out an ephah of barley, which is similar to after she's beat it out and threshed it and all that, and she takes it home, almost like a good size of dog food. She's taking this home that would feed her and Naomi for many weeks to come. And Naomi's words tip us off to the fact that they understand that it is God in his kindness that has blessed them both physically, but also with the possibility to meet with the Redeemer. And Chapter 2, verse 20, it says, Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May the Lord bless him because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. Naomi continued, The man is a close relative. He is one of our family redeemers. 
as I keep reading this, we quickly think that she's talking about Boaz, but let's read it again. May the Lord bless him because he has not abandoned his kindness. I believe Naomi is talking about the Lord's kindness to us, his kindness to them. And why we can put our faith in God is because God's infinite kindness to us. Brother, sister, think back to a time when someone overwhelmed you with kindness. That it was something someone said or did that was unexpected. Some nice thing that you would have never thought of. Something that you were simply overwhelmed. Not at the gift or whatever, but that it was just kind. That you were filled with joy and love. This is how we should feel at Christmas. Because there's nothing we deserve from God. We certainly deserve coal in our stocking. But there's nothing from God that we deserve except alienation, judgment, and death. Because we disobeyed, we've rejected, we've, we've ran away from him. But God, whom we have sinned against, came out of heaven and came to us. And not only came, but died for us so that we might live. Brothers and sisters, this is the ultimate, ultimate display of God's kindness that he came at Christmas. Titus 3, 4 through 7, listen to this. But when the kindness of our God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, he poured out the Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that, having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Brothers and sisters, that is the display of God's kindness. That we who deserve alienation, who deserve death, who do not deserve him, in his kindness and mercy and grace, gave us Jesus. That we receive him as redeemer. As Boaz is said as the redeemer of this story, that it would point to the future Jesus that comes from Bethlehem. We can see this wonderful traits of the kindness of our redeemer. Just like Boaz, Jesus is a redeemer who notices our need. Boaz looked over the field and saw someone in need, someone who was out of sorts, someone who was destitute. God, in his infinite, wonderful kindness, looked through all eternity and saw that you had a need in him. This Redeemer loves you and notices our need. A Redeemer. Boaz, in the same way his kindness is the same as Jesus, our Redeemer, who welcomes the outsider. Just as the foreman who was, might have to put out Ruth because she was a foreigner and had an embarrassment of, of the owner. Instead, what does this Redeemer do? Say, all is welcome in my field. Our Redeemer is someone who welcomes. In John 3, if we are born again, we know or we're not outside the family of God. We are brought in. We are now fellow citizens and saints and part of God's household. Does the kindness of this Redeemer 
who does that through us. We see a redeemer in Boaz who, in Jesus, a redeemer who gives abundant grace. Boaz gives Ruth the first pick of the remnants to allow her to follow his very workers and even to set some extra aside, not because of who she was, but because of grace. In the same way, we see a redeemer who gives abundant grace by giving of himself, by giving a way for us to be born again. And through Boaz and our future redeemer, we one who gives refuge from the Lord. Ruth asks, why do I find refuge here, my Lord? Why have you been so kind to me? I'm not like one of your women. Maybe we would say the same thing to our Lord. God, why would you find favor in me? And I think a characteristic of all Christians and a mark of someone who's in the family of God has an unshakable sense that we know that we don't deserve to be here. That we know that there's nothing about us that we belong. Oh, we're pretenders. We don't belong in the big room. But God in his graciousness has given us his son so that we are welcomed into his family. We have been provided a redeemer who welcomes the outsider and makes us a child in the harvest of God's field. How great this redeemer Boaz, but how much greater is the one Jesus who comes in Bethlehem a thousand years later that we who put our faith in him, we find this and more. So how much faith do you give God in your everyday life? How much do you put your faith in him for salvation? Do you still fall back into working and trying to please him? Do you still look, work to try to control things that you know that God is already controlling? Remember, Jesus said that his burden is easy and his yoke is light. We need to put our faith in this God and Redeemer. The Lord's kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead, Naomi or Ruth or their husbands who have passed. It was the Lord who bound Ruth and Naomi in love. It was the Lord who preserved Boaz for Ruth. It, Ruth didn't just happen to come above Boaz's field. The light of God's love has broken through to, for Naomi to see that the Lord is kind and we can take refuge in him. Brother and sister, would you be astonished every day throughout Christmas and every day of the year at the kindness of the grace of God? And at Christmas, let us put our faith in him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this wonderful example and the events in the life of Ruth and how it connects us to the events in a manger in Bethlehem. May we, God, place our faith in you, greater in the things of, of what we do every day. But God, I pray that if there's someone here, someone watching at home, listening at home, may God, they put their faith in you for the first time today, that they would be brought into the family by a kind and loving God. We're thankful for this. In Jesus' name, amen.